Turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll pick up where we left off there and begin reading with verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, as uh, human beings and curious, I think most of us are, um, it's a natural thing for us to ask the question, how? Um, Sometimes we just like being ignorant and don't want to know how, just so long as things work, right? Um, I I know that when I walk into my office in the morning that I'm going to flip the light switch, and while I flip this switch here, the light that is up there is going to come on. And uh, I can ask the question, how? Now, Ed, he could probably tell me how. Chris could probably tell me how. And two or three others could probably try to tell me how. Uh, but just, it's not natural for me to know, and so I'd have to ask. And I know that when I get in my car, or at least I hope when I get in my car to leave here today, and I put my key in the switch and turn it cl- uh, clockwise, we expect that it's going gonna, it's gonna to fire right up. That thing's going to crank, and I'm going to be able to press this pedal in the floor, and the wheels are going to turn, and I'm going to drive home. But anyone who's curious enough to ask, you do have to ask the question, how? But don't ask me, because I don't know. Uh, I went to seminary. They don't teach you that kind of stuff there. And so the first seven verses of chapter 2 that we looked at last week describe the believer's conversion or salvation as being made alive from the dead. He said that just, just that way in verse 1. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He went on to explain what that looked like. It meant that you once walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, the, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And he said, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We lived our lives fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature, what? Children of wrath, just as the others. But God didn't leave us there. Those of us who have been saved, who have been born again, we've experienced something else. Because God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ. So we were dead in our sins, but through Jesus we have been made alive. We have been brought out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We have been saved. And we hear that, and we listen to the sermon, and we reach, read the text, and we say, Amen. Praise God. I'm glad that's true. But maybe you say, How? How does it work? What actually happens in that transaction? And when it comes to the question of how we are saved, the Bible is not silent. It's not something we have to wonder about. In fact, it's not even all that complicated. 
In discussions or even debates about salvation, questions arise about the the place of grace and faith and good works. and, And God's Word speaks to the relationship of each of these things to salvation. Here's just some examples. The the most clear and obvious one right in front of us is verse 8 of Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. The Apostle Paul also wrote to the Romans, in Romans 4, 5, he says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So it's not by works, but it's by faith in him who justifies the ungodly. He wrote to Titus, he says, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then you flip to another writer in, in the New Testament. And you look at James and James 2. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? He says down in that same chapter in verse 20, he says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So the Bible addresses grace and faith and works and how they relate to salvation. And if we study our Bibles and and ask the Lord to help us understand, it really is clear. But many people are confused about the relationship of these things to our salvation. Some people have gone as far as to pit Paul against James and say, well, Paul emphasizes faith and he says it's by faith alone apart from works. And then you got James who comes along and says, well, you've got to do works because faith alone can't save you. And that's just not true. They're not fighting against each other. They're not butting heads. They're not teaching separate doctrines. They don't contradict. Some people are confused thinking that You have to have all three in order to be saved. Well, work certainly has a relationship to our salvation, but it doesn't contradict the words of Scripture. And I think our passage that we've just read here in Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, gives some clarity as to how all this works together. So the question is, how do grace, faith, and works relate to our salvation? Here's the short answer, if you want to write it down, and then we'll consider each part. Here it is. God saves us by grace, through faith, for good works. God saves us by grace, through faith, for good works. So the first part is this, that God saves us by grace. He says just that in verse 8, for by grace... You have been saved. You see, grace, as just as we've discussed before, is unmerited favor from God. It's His kindness, His goodness, His love that He has lavished on us apart from anything that we could ever do to deserve it. In fact, He bestows His grace upon us despite our being unworthy. You see, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in behalf of sinners is the great action, the great demonstration of the grace of God. That Jesus, God in the flesh, would come and live among us, live a totally sinless, clean life, never once giving in to temptation. The scripture says, tempted in every way, like we are, yet without sin chose to live among us sinlessly and to lay down his life on the cross in place of sinners. 
Though we are sinners, though we deserve to die, Jesus, the one who did not deserve to die, chose to die so that we wouldn't have to die. He laid down his life, and in his death on the cross, he took on himself the full payment for our sins, the full wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. Every bit of judgment, every second of hell that you had earned for yourself because of your sin, Jesus experienced it in his time on the cross and made payment for our sins. He was buried, and then on the third day, he fulfilled his word, proved that he was who he said he was by rising from the dead. Literally, physically, bodily, getting up and walking out of his tomb. That, my friend, is the great action on God's part in which he demonstrates his grace, his kindness, that favor that none of us deserve. And it's not given because of anything that we deserve, but simply because he chose to set his affection upon us. Simply because he delighted in putting his kindness on display. Just because he wanted to show you how nice he is and how good he can be. Are you saved, friends? Have you been born again? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ and had your sins forgiven? You've been given new life? Let me be very clear about this. If you are a Christian, it was purely, purely, entirely, no exceptions, an act of God's grace. Are you lost? Are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? You have not yet experienced the forgiveness of sins. You've not been given new life in Jesus. Let me be very, very clear about this. Your only, only, only hope is the grace of God. His unmerited, undeserved favor. His kindness that He stands willing to bestow on those who will believe in Him. So grace is the action that God takes in saving us. He says you are saved by grace. That is God's action apart from anything you could ever do. He says you're saved by grace. And so the second thing is that God saves us through faith apart from works. I have to add apart from works because Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, everybody will say we're saved through faith, but they won't say faith alone. God saves us through faith apart from works. You see, grace is the action that's taken on God's part in salvation. He sent His only Son into the world to live and to die for sinners and rise from the dead. That's God's action. He forgives sins. He gives new life. That's grace. So grace is the action that God takes on His part in salvation. Faith is the channel through which we receive it. Faith, by definition, is assurance. It's belief. Everybody knows John 3.16, if you've been in church for any amount of time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's grace, right? That whoever, what? Believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's faith. That's the channel through which we receive the grace of God, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Simply put, faith is trust. It's trust. So whoever believes in Him, whoever puts their trust in Him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
It's just an illustration. Imagine being homeless. Just think about it for a minute. Let it kind of simmer. What that would be like. Having nowhere to go to get out of this ridiculous heat we've experienced this year. No way to get out of the, the storms that came through last weekend. Just out on the street with nowhere to go. Now imagine that someone approaches you on the street and says, you don't know me, but I love you, and I don't want you to have to live this way anymore. So here are the keys to a million-dollar home just down the street. It's all paid for, and it's all yours. And then he holds his fist out in front of you in your direction. That's, a, that's an act of grace, right? If you don't have the money to afford a home and you don't know this person and you haven't done anything for them that they should try to pay you back or anything like that, yet they come and see you in your need, express a kindness, a love towards you, and offer a solution. Here's the keys to a million-dollar home, and they hold their hand out right in front of you. So what do you do? How do you respond to that? Well, you could do a number of things. You could laugh and say, you're full of it. There ain't nothing in your hands. Get out of here. Go mess with somebody else. It's one way. You, you, you could say, man, that's, that's really nice of you. You know, what can I do to pay you back? What can I do? I mean, I've got a, got a couple of buttons, a nickel, a, some pocket lint. I mean, let me do something. I can't just take it for nothing. Take what I've got. Really? A couple of buttons, pocket lint, and a nickel for a million dollars house? That's offensive that you would even try to offer that and, and act like it was some kind of fair exchange. Or you could respond in faith. And here's what that would look like. It would be simply taking this person at his word, holding out your undeserving hand, and believing that he would do exactly what he said he would do. That would be responding in faith. This is how we receive salvation. We're in our sins, and we're headed for hell. We are by nature children of wrath just as the others. There's no way out on our own. There's no way we could ever do enough good to outweigh the bad. No way we could ever just satisfy God enough that he'd let us off the hook. But Jesus says, you've never met me, but I love you. I don't want you to live in your sin anymore. I don't want you to go to hell. I've purchased for you forgiveness, new life, a home in heaven for you. There's nothing that you have to do. It's all paid for, and it's all yours. How do you respond? That's ridiculous. Get out of here. I don't believe that. Or, you know, that's a nice thing to say, but I know that if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't offer me a thing. Or you could say, man, that's, that's really great. Let me see what I can, let me show you what I did over here. I'm trying to offer some, some good deeds, some good work. It's just an offense. But we're saved by grace, and the grace of God is displayed in that offer, and Jesus giving his life for us and, 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 and holding out this free gift. 
And we must receive it through faith. We take him at his word. We throw up our undeserving hands, say, nothing I can bring could ever earn this, but I'm going to take you at your word that you're going to do exactly what you said you would do. Jesus, I have no good thing to offer you. In my flesh dwells no good thing. My righteousness is as filthy rags. It's like dung. It's like filth. And there's no way I could ever earn my way to you. So I throw up my hands and I say, Jesus, you died for me. You loved me. You rose from the dead. You offer me forgiveness. You offer me life. I have no other option. So let me just take you at your word and say, yes, please. That's faith. That's trust, putting your trust in Jesus, that he would do exactly what he said he would do. He said, if you believe in him, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. And you come to him and you say, Jesus, I believe that. Here I am. That's faith. We simply believe that he will do what he said he would do. There in the second half of the verse, he says, and that not of yourselves It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before. I think I probably have. But even your faith was not your own doing. God's action is to send Jesus to die for sins and to rise from the dead and to offer this free forgiveness, this gift of grace. And faith is the channel through which we receive it. But even the faith with which we believe the gospel is not our own. Even the the faith that we exercised in the moment that we believed in Jesus, if you've been born again, even that faith was a gift from God. Some say, well, that not of yourselves, that, that refers to grace, or some people say it refers to faith, and some say, well, it just refers to salvation of a whole. What does it refer to? All of it. None of it is yours apart from God's work. There's no grace, there's no salvation, there's no faith apart from God's work and God's gift to you. So if you've been born again, it was because God in his kindness showed grace, and it's because God gave you the gift of faith to believe. And I want to say this, salvation cannot, cannot be a result of good works. It can't. No keeping of the law, no good deed is sufficient. Because if you do good and you commit to doing good deeds and keeping God's law every day of your life, but if you only broke his law once, and let's just be honest, we've all done it way, way, way more than once. If you only broke his law once, you are still a lawbreaker and you still deserve to be punished. And no matter how much good you do from now to the day you die, it will never undo the fact that you broke his law. So salvation cannot be by good deeds or by the keeping of the law. And I want to say be careful not to make faith into a work. Man, some people do that. They act like faith is something you've just got to muster up inside yourself and, and you've got to have enough of it. Friends, let me tell you, the strength of faith is not in how much of it you can muster up. The strength of faith is the one you put your faith in. Faith only works because the faith is in Jesus. If your faith is in anything else, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. People say, I'm a person of faith. What does that even mean? Faith in what? Faith in who? 
The only thing that works is faith in Jesus. And it's not because your faith was just so miraculously strong, but it's because you put your faith in the one who is strong, Jesus himself. I mean, I've heard Christians before, and some of you have probably had this thought where you maybe have doubts about your own salvation. And you think, man, I wonder if I really had enough faith. I wonder if I really meant it or if I really prayed sincerely enough on the day I got saved. Can I just go ahead and clear your mind with that? You probably didn't. You probably didn't have enough faith. You probably didn't pray sincere enough of a prayer. And you probably didn't mean it enough. Good thing. It's a good thing that your salvation is not dependent on your works. It's not dependent on your prayers. It's not dependent on how strong you can muster up your faith. Your salvation isn't leaning on any of that, friend. Rest in this. It's through Jesus and His grace alone. Thank you, Baptists, who said amen. That's good. That's your only hope. Your faith isn't strong enough. Just be okay with that. And rest in Jesus. Because His grace is strong enough when your faith is weak. So be careful not to make faith into a work. People sometimes say that faith is whenever you ask Jesus to come into your heart or when you pray the sinner's prayer or when you come down front at the end of a church service. Friends, that those things in and of themselves are not faith. They may be expressions of faith, but faith is simply trust in your heart, believing that Jesus is who he said he is and that he'll do what he said he would do. That's all it is. And whenever we believe this and we live this way, friends, boasting is removed except in Christ. He says there, just in verse 9, he says, It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. You've got absolutely nothing to brag about, and you should be okay with that. You have contributed. Here, I love Jonathan Edwards. He gets a bad rap because people only ever read sinners in the hands of an angry God. But he has some really good stuff. But here's just a typical Edwards quote for you. You ready? You contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Just go ahead and chew on that. You contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So what have you got to boast in? Here's your answer. Jesus. Oh, you can boast. Just don't look inward when you do. Look upward. Your boast is in Jesus. When people ask you, how how do you live the life that you live? How do you know you're a Christian? How can you have the joy of the Lord? You don't look and say, well, it's because one day, you know, I was going along and I was thinking, you know, Jesus said these things and I really think I'm going to believe in him. And you just turn all the attention to yourself. No. People ask you about your Christian life, ask you about joy in the Lord. You know what you do? You say, I don't really have anything in in myself to, to lay claim to, but Jesus has been so good. Jesus loved me more than anybody ever has. He laid down his life for me. He rose from the dead. He gave me life and forgiveness. And I don't know what else to be but have joy in him. We can boast. Just boast in Jesus. So God saves us by grace. The second thing is he saves us through faith apart from works. And then third, God saves us for good works. God saves us for good works. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus. Before we ever do anything for God, God has to do something in us. We are God's workmanship. We are his project, if you will. Y'all know the old kid's song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. What a loving Savior he must be, because he's still working on me. We are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus. See, he told the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone who has been born again, he is a what? A new creation. He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. How many things? Seven or eight? The big ten? All things, friends, have become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, does that mean from the moment that you became a Christian, you stopped sinning? You never did it again, and you've been perfect ever since, just like Jesus. Anybody there? All right, good. We've got some honest folks in the room. I praise, I praise God for that. But when we are saved, we experience real life change. Don't tell me you've been born again if you can't look at the course of your life and see any way that God has been changing you and making you more like Jesus. If you say, I'm a Christian, and I were to ask you, tell me something God's been doing in your life. You should be able to give me some sort of an answer. Because even if you've just been saved a couple of weeks, I'm going to say especially if you've just been saved a couple of weeks, you ought to be able to see some kind of work that God's doing, some kind of transformation. And you say, well, I wasn't out strung out on drugs and getting drunk on the weekends and beating my wife and, you know, whatever. You know, I didn't have this big story of being brought from that into this, you know, holy living. Well, that's fine. But you still got sin in your heart. And God's at work in you if he is in you. If he's not making you more like Christ progressively throughout your Christian life, then you need to check up. Because you may not be a Christian. If we are in Christ Jesus, life change is inevitable. We're talking about being brought from death to life. It doesn't get much more drastic than that. If you were dead in your sins and now you're alive in Christ, there's going to be some kind of change. Good works, listen, just... I want to be clear on this. Good works do not earn us favor with God. They can't. Grace is favor we don't deserve. We receive it by faith alone, apart from works. But he made us in Christ Jesus for good works. He made us in Christ Jesus for good works. God didn't merely save you so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. God didn't merely save you to give you joy and peace and all the blessings that come along with being a Christian. Friends, 
He saved you to accomplish the purposes that he has for you in this life also. Good works are rooted in our being in Christ Jesus. I think it's very important that before he says we were created for good works, he says that we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. What's the command he gives? Abide in me. Abide in me. Are you abiding in Jesus? You see, the command isn't to go out and bear fruit. He doesn't say, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Now get to work and put some fruit out. No, he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. And if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You cut a branch off a vine and throw it out into the yard. What's going to happen to it? It's going to dry up, wither up, turn brown and die. But if that branch stays connected to the vine, its source of strength, its source for bearing fruit, that vine through the branch will produce fruit. Some of you are starting to enjoy some of that this week. I picked a lot of tomatoes this week, and I love it. We're going to make good sandwiches. We're going to freeze some and have soup this winter. I mean, I'm going to enjoy the fruit. But it only works if you've got a vine and a branch. Pruning away the junk, the stuff that just sucks the life out of it, letting it do its work. Let the vine draw the nutrients from the ground and push it through that branch so that it will bear fruit. And that's your life in Christ. You just abide in him. If he saved you, you're in Christ already. You just abide in him. You live in that. You walk with him. You read his word. You pray. You love him and enjoy him every day of your life. And let him give you the nutrients, produce the fruit through you. God prepared works for us beforehand, he says. He says we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we talked a few weeks ago about how we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And, and God's choice to love you and to save you didn't happen just on a whim. But this has been part of his plan for all of eternity. Well, guess what? He didn't just plan to save you from all eternity. He had work planned for you from all eternity, too, that he was saving you for. And I don't know what that is for you. Each one has been given different gifts. Paul told that to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same Lord, but the same God who works all in all. But he says this, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. If you've received the Holy Spirit, he has equipped you. He has given you everything you need to do the work that God has called you to do. And it's not just for your own benefit and your own walk with the Lord, but he says it's for the profit of all. You have been given as a gift to the church to use your gifts to the building up of the body of Christ. You need the church and the people around you. You need to experience other people using their gifts. And you need to belong to the church because others need to experience the blessing from your gifts. You need the church. The church needs you. And guess who's in charge of it all? He said in verse 18 of that same chapter, 
God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You say, well, I'm not really satisfied with my set of gifts. The tools in my box don't look as sharp as the tools in hers. God has given you exactly what you need to do exactly what he wants you to do. He has chosen to put you where you are with the gifting that you have so that you can use it for the good of the church and for his own glory. So whatever that is, that's between you and your relationship with the Lord, okay? You step up and you do exactly what God's called you to do. How could you not all that he's done for you? To bestow his grace on you and his kindness and his love toward us through Jesus. Saving you, not just even though you didn't deserve it, but in spite of all the judgment you deserve. He saved you. He loved you. He did it so that you would step up in his body and serve and do the good that he's called you to do. Not just in here, but out there. All of you have a ministry outside of this building. Friends, listen, if all the ministry happens in this building, we're doing it wrong. If all we're doing is looking inward, how can we take care of each other and take care of this nice place? We're doing it wrong. It's not all about just doing everything in here and keeping everybody happy. It's about reaching out there into the community so that lost people can hear the gospel and be saved. And I'll just throw this out there too. I can't do it all. We'll get there in chapter 4, but you know what he says that the job of a pastor is? He said that God gave pastors and teachers and evangelists and the others to the church, he says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. It shouldn't be that the guy who stands in the front does all the ministry. It, it won't all get done. Just go ahead and tell you. But the job of the pastor and the evangelist and the apostles and prophets in the New Testament, it is the job of those people that God has given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. How many ministers should this church have? It should have the same number of ministers as it has members. Because each member is called to be a minister in whatever way that God has equipped them to do it. So then the questions come around this. Just We, we have to do something with this. God saves us by grace, through faith, for good works. So on the salvation side of things, what are you trusting in for your salvation? You're trusting in your own goodness and your own efforts to please God and to keep a, a straight account? Or have you thrown up your hands and said, I can't do it, I'm putting my trust in Jesus alone. I receive that gift of grace. He's promised if you'll do that, he'll forgive your sins, he'll give you new life in him. And if you've been born again, friends, are you living in the good works that he's called you to do? He's prepared work for you from before the world began. Are you concerned enough about his glory and his will for your life that you'll step up and do what he's called you to do? You have to evaluate your own heart. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer?